What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans, are you is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do just let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine all night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. It's Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. That's WrestlingTWT. Also, check out our YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Every Tuesday at 9.30, we give you something wrestling, give you something sports entertainment, and we're glad to have you with us right here. I want to be able to give you some news here that occurred earlier today about Shad Gaspard. If you remember the tag team Crime Time, a tag team in which I didn't like their persona necessarily, but they, they were over, I thought, in the WWE. The story about uh, Shad Gaspard, I don't know if you've seen this, has been on TMZ and other places. The family of Shad Gaspard issued a statement through a number of WWE and AEW performers um, asking for privacy during this terrible ordeal that Gaspard's family uh, have gone through. So Shad Gaspard went missing on Sunday afternoon after he was caught in a riptide along with his 10-year-old son and other people. During the rescue operation, Gaspard directly uh, talked to the lifeguards to try to help rescue his 10-year-old son. A wave reportedly hit him, and he was never seen again. The divers were combing the area yesterday morning, as well as helicopters searching above. Unconfirmed reports are circulating that the rescue effort has been called off. Gaspard uh, has been declared deceased. So just a, a horrible, horrible story of just a really big guy that was in the WWE for a while, Shad Gaspard, and he was trying to reach his son, uh, and they, they both went missing, and so it looks like that Shad Gaspard has passed away. Um, and I'm just reading from wrestlers like MVP and from Mark Henry and others on Twitter, and just an outpouring of love and support and concern over this horrible ordeal. It's great to have wrestlers come together and talk about, you know, uh, the brothers and sisters uh, in that community, uh, in that circle. And so all the best to Gaspard's family during this very, very difficult time. As it looks like he has passed away as his search has been called off. Um, Other news about wrestling is that Monday night raw took place last night. They continue to perform at the performance center in Orlando, Florida. 
And Raw last night drew a 1.7. 1.7 million people watched Monday Night Raw. And once again, I will ask the question. During this pandemic, during COVID-19, where many, not all, because there are some states and cities that are opening now in which you can be able to go out to dinner if you want to, you can be able to do kind of the things that uh, we are normally used to. But for the most part, America has been shut down. And you would think if you are quarantined, if you're sequestered, if you're in your home, that you have more time to watch television, network television, cable, Netflix, uh, Amazon, whatever your favorite television uh, device is. And the numbers for wrestling are just going down, especially the WWE product where Raw is 1.7 million. We have seen all-time lows now for Monday Night Raw. And sure, these performers are wrestling in front of zero, no attendance except for the workers. It's still surreal to be able to turn a wrestling show and see no fans that are in the stands. But this is where we are right now. And I, once again, I just think it's interesting where you're supposed to have a lot more eyeballs watching television because uh, you know more than 15% of this country is not working and they're at home, but they're not watching Monday Night Raw or they're not watching SmackDown. SmackDown actually is doing better than Raw from a number standpoint. Last week, SmackDown was around the two, so over a little bit over 2 million people. And Raw is barely beating. You know I mean, just like it, a few digits away from losing to uh, 90 Day Fiance. So, I mean, that's, that, that says something about where, the, where wrestling is. And if you cannot be able to build on your momentum as a wrestling company during a pandemic when there's supposed to be more eyeballs on your product, that says a lot. I mean, all-time lows for Monday Night Raw, uh, all-time lows for uh, the WWE product in general, which I, I find interesting. Now, on the other side of the tracks, on Wednesdays, it still continues to be compelling between NXT and AEW. They are both doing very well. AEW is a different product because they are catering to terrific wrestling, also building in storylines, and they don't mind trying to make you laugh and do things that's a little bit unorthodox. Where NXT is really more or less the hardcore wrestling show, it's in the in the vision of Triple H, and I think that Triple H is doing a terrific job. I've always been an NXT fan, but AEW continues to beat NXT week in and week out. Now, we, when I say beats, it's relatively t- relative terms because neither one of these companies are averaging over a million viewers uh, on their first run programs on Wednesdays. Uh, AEW, for those that don't know, AEW runs on TNT and NXT runs on the USA Network, and neither one of them have been able to get traction to be able to get over a million viewers, but when the numbers come out, AEW continues to dominate NXT uh, as far as the wins are concerned. They've had a lot more wins than NXT has, even though NXT is more of the wrestling product. Interesting to watch. Going back to Raw just for a moment, just last night. We are doing the show last night, of course, and I'm just looking up at the screen as we were doing the show and talking about the last dance and some of the other um, sports storylines. I just I didn't have the sound up, which is fine. I mean... It's Tom Phillips and Samoa Joe and and Byron Saxton, so I don't think I'm missing a ton here. So I'm just kind of just keep my eyes on it as I'm hosting the show. And I, I, it's one, it's interesting how it, from segment to segment, how Raw can go two steps forward, and then the next segment to go five steps back. If the first segment is bad, 
then you think, okay, well, it's going to get better, right? And you think segment after segment, either from the in-ring standpoint or a great promo or whatever, that you are building momentum from the beginning. Sometimes the hot is the, the beginning is hot, and it just kind of falls off the table and just kind of you know was able to rebound back. This is amazing to watch Bobby Lashley dominate our truth. I mean, and dominate him in a big way, where Lashley looked strong. To watch Charlotte Flair win her matchup, to watch the Iconics make a return over the last couple of weeks, the Iconics, who I'm a big fan of, a, a um, female tag team that I think is they're fun to watch, and they're in there in their matchup, and I thought that that was a really good match, even though in, in a disqualification, so it opens up for more. And I see that. And on the flip side, I see Natalia get beat down for, I don't know, the 2000th time because she's booked so poorly in WWE. I don't know what Natty Neidhart did to Vince McMahon or the writers for her to be underneath so often. She is the Dolph Ziggler of the women's division. I don't understand how someone that can work so well, babyface or heel, and she's been both, by the way, how she can be booked so poorly. And she has been, and she just, she tapped out and she looked horrible yesterday as she has for the majority of her career as a single wrestler in the WWE. Then you see some kind of skit and again, I didn't have the sound of it. I just kind of looked over to my left and I saw the street profits against the Viking Raiders and they were taking on one another in a basketball contest. Like it was two on two. And then there was some kind of throwing swords contest. I don't mean they're kind of throwing swords. I mean, they actually have swords, and they're throwing it, and they had a competition between the two teams. And I'm like, wait, haven't I seen this before? Oh, yeah, I have seen this before. MVP against Matt Hardy. Like the best thing on SmackDown years ago. Out of all the storylines they had, the MVP playing Matt Hardy in a, a challenge of basketball, it was the whole thing of whatever you do, I can do better. And they, they had this series of four or five different things. It was entertaining. And so clearly they have reprised this so it could be the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits doing this. And then, which is just totally um, garbage, trash. It's just a waste of both of those teams' talents because of entertainment. Got to entertain the people, right? And then Lana, and her husband's not around anymore. Lana, just she's in a segment, and I just looked over, and she's just screaming. She's in the back just screaming. There, I don't think there's any dialogue with just her screaming. I'm like... So this once Russian, right, this Russian uh, woman that uh, was with Rusev, Rusev's out of the company, and so Lana's there, and every time I see her, she's just screaming, like, how's it entertaining? <laughs> like, what is going on? And Seth Rollins is supposed to be some, some Jesus-like figure. They've got him, uh, you know, dressed up in a, a black suit, and his promos have slowed down. I just, I don't understand I understand half of the company, and the other half I just don't understand. Like, clearly it is tailored for the, um, just for one guy, the audience of one, and that's Vince McMahon, and I just, I will never understand it. Why can't you just give me a wrestling show? Why can't you just give me great, great promos? And he's seen some good promos. The promos have changed. Now the audience uh, is able to see into the eyes of the talent. Drew McIntyre, terrific promo. Uh, seeing Bobby Lashley and MVP, terrific promo, because now they're looking at us instead of looking at their shoes, looking up at the ceiling. They have broken the fourth wall, and they're actually trying to sell themselves to people that are watching. So I, I appreciate that, but it's just, 
I understand there's no perfect wrestling show, but Raw is far from it. I don't know how people watch it every Monday for three hours. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so there's some storylines. Also, the AEW just continues to, I think, crank out some entertaining things uh, for for their company. You know, it's a young company, but they just continue to to try to build toward uh, a number of things that will entertain their fan base. But the only thing is the indie fan base and then wrestling fans that are sick of WWE, you got to be able to expand it even more so. So in a year from now, if AEW is still struggling to get a million viewers or if they're kind of underneath uh, you know, NXT or underneath SmackDown, then you start to wonder, do they need to change some things? So, uh, so wrestling's in a good spot. I know there's a number of companies that have shut down during this COVID-19 or not in service, but uh, I think it, it'll be interesting to watch how wrestling evolves. As the states start to open, which wrestling company will go to those states and say, besides Florida and Jacksonville, um, what other states will allow pro wrestling to uh, operate there? Will we see WWE or AEW or, or MLW or NWA or these other companies start to travel as the states start opening? UFC has done it in, in Jacksonville with their shows. They had three shows in Florida. Now will we see this more often as we get uh, further into the spring, into the summer? I look forward to seeing what happens there. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at... Wrestling TWT, again, it's Wrestling TWT for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, giving you that wrestling sports entertainment conversation every Tuesday at 9.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Have you been watching The Undertaker in the documentary on the WWE Network? I'm not happy with the WWE Network in some ways, and in some ways it's, it's really good. The way I have a problem with them is that they have uh, taken away some of my classic wrestling that I enjoy watching. They, take, they took away The Vault, which was something I really enjoyed looking into wrestling in the 70s and 80s. They don't really have that available anymore, but they do have great documentaries. You know, watching The Last Dance from ESPN and some of the documentaries they have coming up, there's nothing like a great story that's told. And so The Undertaker documentary was just called The Last Ride, similar to The Last Dance, right? But The Last Ride from The Undertaker, I've seen the first two episodes. It's really been interesting because I remember watching The Undertaker before he was The Undertaker as Mean Mark Callis when he was in WCW. And to watch him in a tag team with Danny Spivey, I thought, okay, you know, this guy's kind of a big guy, doesn't have a lot of emotion. He moves slowly, but he has explosion. When he comes off the ropes, there's this... Big-time lariat, his big-time clothesline, he walks the ropes, and I'm like, this is like the spoiler from years ago. The spoiler was a masked wrestler that would walk the ropes, take his time. And so I think that with The Undertaker being from Houston, he saw the spoiler. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. If you have never seen him, look, Google it, go to YouTube, look for the spoiler, and you'll see a lot of characteristics like The Undertaker. 
The Undertaker is legit seven foot tall, six eleven, seven foot tall. And when I saw him in WCW, I thought this guy could be really special. He didn't have the Undertaker gimmick. He just it was a guy that had black chaps and just came out and kind of um, milky white skin. But he looked menacing because he never changed his facial expression. And so with him coming over as the Undertaker, being first managed by Brother Love, I thought, okay, it's interesting to see Mean Mark now in the WWF at the time. And, of course, there was a lot of hype around him, but he was in an era in which the WWE was all about the gimmicks. And they had a lot of bad gimmicks there. They didn't have some good gimmicks that would last a test of time. They had the goon that was supposed to be a hockey guy. There was supposed to be someone that was a mantar, half man, half, I don't know, guitar. No, actually, uh, like, um, <laughs> mantar was like a half bull, half man. Uh, they had some really bad gimmicks, but they got to the undertaker. And because he was with brother love, it made sense at the time. But when Paul Barra, uh, Percy Pringle was able to be with The Undertaker because Percy's new name is Paul Bearer, and Paul Bearer actually was someone that uh, had a license to be able to be a Paul Bearer, someone that could be able to embalm people. He had a license to be able to do this to the dead. It was really interesting to see the pair, the, the one-two punch of Paul Bearer and The Undertaker, and that really worked out well. Here's where you knew the fans were starting to change when it comes to The Undertaker. He came in there as a heel, and he was tearing through everybody. And again, it was different because he took his time. He did not necessarily rush to the match. And he looked like someone that came from the dead, the way he was dressed, his facial expressions, everything else, right? And so fans started to get into him. That's the difference between the 80s and booing an Undertaker and then the 90s where he's getting through Jimmy Snuka and he's getting through Hulk Hogan. And he's getting through all these you know, top superstars. All of a sudden, he starts getting cheers. That's how it was in the early 90s where the fans started getting smarter and they appreciated heels and baby faces. And so the Undertaker became this phenom and he just continued to roll through. There were some lean times for the WWE uh, in the early 90s where they weren't drawing a ton on the road. It was bad, actually, for the WWE and for WCW, actually. And then you start to see the metamorphosis of The Undertaker. He becomes the American Badass, where he takes off of the, the Undertaker stuff, and he just becomes like this biker, closer to who he is, riding on a motorcycle and had the bandana, and he was the guy that was more explosive and more expressive as the American Badass than he was The Undertaker. And so they kind of cleaned up his image, changed it a little bit, then he went back to being The Undertaker. And so as years have gone by, you're wondering, like, okay, when will this be the end for The Undertaker? Because with uh, Mark Calloway uh, being in the company since 1990, you were thinking, okay, so this gimmick has lasted for a long time, but he kept trying to develop. But over the last few years, we have seen The Undertaker slow down, has some really bad matches against Goldberg, not a great match at WrestleMania against uh, Roman Reigns, in which it was supposed to be his last match, um, tag team match that he had with Kane in Saudi Arabia against Shawn Michaels and Triple H. You could see that he's every bit of 55 years of age. 
But if you've not seen this documentary, check out the WWE Network and check out the first couple of episodes. Uh, we will document each episode on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on the podcast. I'll give you a chance to download the podcast and subscribe to it. That way we can just go segment by segment. We can go uh, episode by episode about uh, The Undertaker and uh, his legendary status. I think about all the wrestlers that I've seen. And I've seen them since the late 70s, early 80s, with my grandfather going to the matches and watching with my family. The Undertaker's right there on the Mount Rushmore of great gimmicks ever in the history of the business because of longevity. Now, he's at a crossroads even right now, whether or not he's going to wrestle again in 2020. I, I get that. But you know that after that Boneyard match he had with AJ Styles, you would think, okay, they can cut the cord now. That should be enough. But who knows? He always is so loyal to Vince McMahon, and, and Vince is so loyal to him. They have a very special bond that I was not aware of until I started watching the documentary. I don't want to spoil it all for you, but if you have not seen that, go and see it yourself. But it's a special relationship that Vince has with The Undertaker, where The Undertaker, it's hard for him to say no. And, you know, even Steve Austin, even Shawn Michaels to an extent, even Bret Hart and so many others knew when to stop. And... The Undertaker is very similar to Ric Flair in this regard. You know, Flair continued to wrestle in TNA after his retirement match against Shawn Michaels. And you were wondering, okay, Nate, you know this is it, right? It's a young man's game. He just continued to wrestle even in the TNA. He needed the money. I think that's pretty clear. He's talked about it. He needed the money. But you know when someone is past their prime in the ring. And so watching The Undertaker, after the Boneyard match was a great match to be able to cover up any flaws, any issues with The Undertaker, made him look strong against AJ Styles. That should be the end. But who knows what the real end is for The Undertaker? That's the thing. We've seen him in some stinkers, and we've seen him in some great matches as well. The matchup against uh, John Cena at WrestleMania. It was only five or six minutes but it was good for you know a short burst. But even for someone who's had so many surgeries, you would think the Undertaker would just end it, you know, and and stop wrestling so much. But he gets his body right once a year for big events like the WrestleMania or for the shows in Saudi Arabia, and so we'll see. But check that out, the Undertaker, the last ride of The Undertaker, a really good documentary, really taking a look at the last three years of Undertaker's career in the WWE. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT, and don't forget the YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday for interviews and conversations you might have missed here on TWT. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Full show tomorrow between 7 and 10. we got a couple of special guests uh, that you'll really enjoy. And we got so much content we got to get to. Stuff I didn't get to tonight, i got to get to tomorrow. Right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.